Amen. You brought a Bible, say yes. And uh, let me invite you to open it with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 14 this morning. Luke, chapter 14. If you're visiting, we've been going verse by verse through this uh, awesome, awesome gospel. And this morning, we'll look at the story of the banquet table, the story of the banquet table. And uh, so many parables that we'll begin to kind of dive into in the days ahead and the weeks ahead. So looking forward to beginning it this morning with this parable of the banquet. So Luke 14, verse 16. Stand with me in honor of God's word, if you will. All across the room, Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 16. The Bible says, but Jesus said to him, a man was given a big dinner and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. And then another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason, I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported to his master. And then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and the lanes in the city and bring in here the poor, the crippled, and blind, and lame. And the slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Let's bow together. Father, thank you for your word. And now take this powerful parable and apply it to our hearts today. God, we thank you for the invitation to the great table, uh, which reminds us of the invitation into the kingdom of God. And Lord, we thank you that you still have the invitation open and others can respond. We rejoice uh, over the one who gave her heart to Jesus last hour. Uh, and Father, we pray that you would just use your word to draw people to yourself this morning. Uh, this is your time. All of it, we give it back to you. Fill with your Holy Spirit and grant me the ability to speak what you desire. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. And you can be seated. Well, our culture is just a little bit different nowadays as it pertains to weddings. If you think about a wedding in our current 21st century, oftentimes what happens is before the actual wedding day occurs, uh, the couple will send out what they call save the dates. And on that save the date, they more or less would have a picture of themselves and just let you know when the actual party or wedding was going to occur. And as I was studying this text of scripture, it kind of reminded me of saving the date. That's what the Lord was really wanting Israel to do, save the date for when he came. And it kind of reminded me of a wedding, so I thought I would bring some wedding photos this morning to show you so that maybe perhaps you can remember your wedding as well, all right? So just go ahead and throw a few of those wedding photos up. First one that we've got is uh, Brandon and Jancy. They were married last week, and uh, they don't look much different. But, uh, and then you can kind of see James Dollar and Harriet, and uh, James is looking at the desire of his heart there in that picture. You missed it, but his cake showed the desire. It was actually a uh, dollar sign. God bless his heart. And then, is there another one up there? There's Randy and Lisa. You can kind of take a look at them. And uh, Lisa looks the exact same. <laughs> Go ahead and listen. I was waiting for the thank you. God bless you. And then you've got a picture. Here's Krista and I uh, prior to our wedding. It's a little bit of cackling back there. You need to chill out, all right? I look like a walking coat hanger, don't I? I was... Uh, 145 pounds when we were married, and uh, I've gained like 40 since we've been married. And then here's our actual wedding photo, <laughs> and uh, that is me, not E.T. Are y'all all right? So uh, pretty crazy looking at these things and uh, kind of reminiscing just a little bit. But, you know, our wedding's uh, pretty, pretty crazy today, but 
You know, God the Father actually sent kind of a save the date out to Israel. And uh, what he was doing is he was wanting them to know that an invitation into the kingdom was going to come through Messiah. And a save the date puts people on notice that that is going to occur. And there was a sense that when the Messiah would show up for the people of Israel, that they should respond with great joy. In fact, you know, one of the things that we've got to look at when we look at the life of Jesus is ask the question, was he indeed the Messiah that he claimed to be? But then also, did he preach the kingdom? Did he invite people to be a part of the kingdom of God? And there's no doubt as we've studied through the Gospel of Luke, we have discovered that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. In fact, in Luke chapter 4, the Lord Jesus Christ is in a synagogue, which is a religious center, and he stands up and he quotes uh, from the prophet Isaiah, who was speaking specifically about the Messiah. And he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And that verse, as I said before, actually speaks directly about the Messiah who would come. And then the Lord Jesus Christ, after reading it in the synagogue, stands to his feet, and then he says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, in this instance, Jesus gave a public announcement that he indeed was the Messiah sent from God who was promised so long ago. And then we know the Bible teaches that the Lord Jesus Christ came preaching. And Jesus had a central message, and that was repent, turn, uh, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So God told Israel to save the date for the coming Messiah and the kingdom. And Jesus came claiming to be Messiah. And Jesus also preached the kingdom of God and encouraged people and invited them to join. Now in this parable, you and I get a picture of the broadcasting of Jesus Christ's invitation for people to become citizens of his kingdom. And this picture is seen in what is often called the parable of the great banquet. And so this morning, and you're listening, God, we just have a few statements that I want to give to you this morning uh, concerning this particular prayer. But the first thing that I want you to see is that Jesus invited the religious of Israel. Jesus invited the religious of Israel. So look at your Bible in verse 16 and 17. Scripture says, Jesus uh, said to him, a man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. Now the custom of this day was that when a person was going to throw a big dinner party at his house, he would let the people know that it was going to happen. He didn't know the exact date. But the host would actually begin to make preparations for the party. And whenever the host felt that the house was ready, he would send out and invite the guests to come in. Now, at this time, those who were invited were to come and be a part of the party. But it was considered very rude in Jewish custom to not come to the dinner. And you know, the Bible teaches that God is actually throwing a party. The imagery of a dinner party is often used to describe the kingdom of Almighty God. Now, Jesus, the Messiah King, is upon the earth, and he is inviting people to be a part of the party, that is, to be a part of his kingdom. But we see that there are some excuses given by at least three individuals in this text. And we'll see what they were preoccupied with and why they put Jesus off. So notice, first of all, the first was preoccupied with personal gain. He was preoccupied with personal gain. Look in verse 18. The Bible says, they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a piece of land, and I need to go out and look for it. Please consider me excused. So the excuse given by the man for not attending the party was that he had just bought a very uh, nice piece of land. He was so busy building his own little personal temporary kingdom on the earth that he missed the invitation to the huge eternal kingdom of God. 
So he refused Jesus because he desired personal gain. But then there's the second one. The second individual was preoccupied with personal productivity. Look in verse 19. The Bible says, another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Now, apparently, this individual was a huge businessman, and his business was booming. He was experiencing great delight. And the business expanding needed him to purchase more oxen. So his desire to be a productive worker actually kept him from being a productive citizen of God's kingdom. And so he put the Lord Jesus Christ off and gave an excuse. And then thirdly, we note that there's an individual not only uh, who refused Jesus because of personal gain and personal productivity, but also this parable teaches that there will be those who will uh, re refuse Jesus because they are preoccupied with a personal relationship. Look in verse 20. After one said... And this is awesome. He says, I've married a wife, and for that reason, I cannot come. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this to myself, I thought, good night, Jesus. Give the guy a break. He just got married. Y'all all right with that? And I'm thinking, why can't he just hang out? But the parable brings to the surface an invitation to God's kingdom of eternity. This man was willing to ignore an eternal invitation to focus on an earthly relationship. You know, in my study, I saw these three excuses not only represented in the parable, but also to see that they represent the three major excuses given by the religious elite of Jesus Christ's day. So think about that with me for just a moment. You know, there were some people who refused Jesus as Messiah because they were driven by what they had. They were driven by what they had. Remember the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19? He told the Lord Jesus that he had kept the law of God perfectly from his youth up. And so Jesus looked at him and said, sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Scripture, however, states that the man went away grieved because he, listen, owned much property. He was more consumed with what he possessed on earth, what he had, than he was consumed with the idea that Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, was inviting him into the kingdom. And so as a result, he rejected Jesus and ultimately did not gain entrance into the kingdom of God. So there were individuals who were driven by what they had in Jesus' day, but also we know there were those driven by what they had done, what they had done. Think about all the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. They continue to put out front, in front of everybody, a so-called religious productivity. And so as a result, they began to share all of their good deeds and almost believe that they could make themselves worthy to be members of God's kingdom. And so they were so consumed with what they had done, they missed the total fact of what Jesus Christ had come to do on their behalf. They rejected and refused Jesus and did not gain entrance into the kingdom of God. And then also we know that not only were there those driven by what they had and what they had done, but also they were driven by who they knew. Who they knew. You see, the religious elite and many in Israel felt they were already citizens of God's kingdom because of their relationship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is, they could trace their family heritage all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And as a result of their citizenship in that family tree, they believed that they were a part of God's promise to Abraham and therefore did not need the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's notice the response of the party host in verse 21 of your Bible. Scripture says, And the slave came back and reported this to his master, and then the head of the household became angry. 
Now think about that for a moment. The host of the party was not pleased with the response of those who were the invited guests. And why was that? Well, the main reason is because their rejection to the banquet revealed their lack of respect for the host. And herein we see the fact that religious of Israel, the religious of Israel, had rejected the Messiah, and therefore they had rejected the Messiah's kingdom. And their rejection of Jesus Christ showed their lack of respect for God the Father. And so even so, this parable reminds us of what Jesus Christ has come to do. He has come to invite people to be a part of the kingdom. But oftentimes, as we see in the life of Jesus Christ, his message and his ministry was completely refused and rejected by the religious elite. Now, as I studied this, I began to think about a personal application in my own life. What did Jesus do after he was refused by the religious elite? Did he stop inviting people to come into the kingdom? No, no, no. He broadened the invitation. And so I began to think about my own personal life. You know, I'm walking uh, with the Lord, and my desire is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who are outside of the faith so that they can be saved. And so I share the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as payment for sin, and a man's need to repent of his sin and place his faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior. And I have found that in sharing that message that more people reject Jesus than respond to him by faith. Now, whenever they reject an individual, I must be very, very careful that I not become extremely discouraged in sharing the gospel. I'm not uh, so involved in how a person responds, but I am called to share. But I cannot stop sharing just because somebody rejected the gospel message that I presented. In fact, this past week, I shared the gospel and an individual actually rejected it. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to stop sharing. God has called all of us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And perhaps you're here as a member of God's church and you have shared the gospel. And somebody said, no, 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 I want nothing to do with that. And perhaps the enemy came alongside and began to whisper in your ear, there's no power in that message. You should not share that message. Why don't you just sit down and be quiet? Nobody wants to hear about Jesus. Well, listen, the Bible teaches teaches that you have been called to a ministry of reconciliation. It is your call, it is my call to share the gospel of Jesus Christ regardless of how people respond. It is the message of hope that we hold as a church and we must keep on sharing it. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ did. And this is what's wild. Jesus broadens the invitation. Jesus not only invites the religious elite of Israel, but we find that Jesus in his ministry begins to invite the uh, Israelite who were considered to be outcast. So Jesus invites the outcast of Israel. Look in verse 21. The Bible says, And the slave came back and reported this to his master. And then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Check this out. Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. Now, since this parable is one of the kingdom of God, we would note that Jesus' ministry actually began in the synagogues, the places of worship. When Jesus came preaching the kingdom, he preached in the synagogues. And as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, we find he was rejected in the synagogue, the religious center of his day. And thus he began to go out into the city streets. 
And in those cities, his ministry dealt extensively with those who were poor, crippled, blind, and lame. Now, these poor, crippled, blind, and lame individuals were known as the outcast of Israel because they had begin, uh, begun to be considered by the religious elite as both inferior and ceremonially unclean. And so they stood on the outside, on the peripheral of God's synagogue. They stood out there, and they were considered refused by the people who claimed to know God. But Jesus came, shared he was the Messiah. The synagogue rejected him. He said, all right, I'll go out here then, and we will begin to invite the outcast of Israel. Now think about this for a moment. The religious elite of Jesus Christ's day felt they were worthy of the kingdom, but the outcast felt they were unworthy of the kingdom. However, both were invited, the religious elite and the outcast. They were both invited, but those who were blessed were not blessed simply because they received an invitation. They were blessed because they responded to the invitation. And this is true a statement of God's kingdom. Uh, there was still room in the kingdom. And what is awesome here is that the Bible teaches that the Lord Jesus Christ is inviting people to be a part of the kingdom. He's inviting you, you who think you are worthy. Listen, you are not, but God is still calling you. You who think you are unworthy, God will make you worthy. He's calling you. And what is phenomenal about this great message is that an individual is blessed whenever they respond to the message. And then notice verse 22 in your Bible. Y'all still with me? Say yes. Look at verse 22. And the slave said, Master, what you have commanded is done. In other words, we've gone out and invited all those guys you told us to invite. We've done it. And then notice what the Bible says. And still there is room. Still there's room. The dinner table is prepared for a great host of people. After, even after bringing the outcast into the banquet, there was still a bunch of room around the table. And this is true statement of God's kingdom as well. There is still room in the kingdom. The invitation continues to go out further. Jesus invites the religious. Jesus invites the outcast. And then he says, all right, there's still empty seats here. And you've got to put yourself in that particular parable for just a moment. Imagine that you are indeed at the table sitting there. Jesus Christ is at the head. And it is the longest table you have ever seen in your life. Your eye cannot even see the very end of it. So many people, so many chairs. But then you notice sitting across from you is an empty chair. And then you notice sitting to the left of you is an empty chair. And then as you look down that long banquet table, you begin to see other empty chairs. What does this mean? This means to you and I that there is still room for people to come into the kingdom. And that is true as well today. You know, as I think about our church body here this morning, uh, I am reminded that there are some individuals who still need to come to the table. And we were blessed last service to have an individual who had been in church pretty much all of her life, but she had never come to the table. She had never come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And she, repenting of her sin, placed her faith in Jesus and sat down in one of the empty chairs. And listen, there are still chairs at the table. And this is what we see in the life of Jesus. Now I want you to catch this, because this is why I really had never seen this before, so I'm kind of trying to share with y'all, all right? So y'all with me say yes? Uh, Jesus came, synagogues, rejected him, went out further, cities, outcast of Israel. Uh, many people came, but there was still some room. So then Jesus extends the invitation even further, and he begins to invite Gentiles. And that's the third thing we see in this parable. Jesus invites those who are outside of Israel. Look at verse 23 in your Bible. And the master said to the slave, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. 
And here we witness the heart of the host to fill up the dinner table. He's so desiring for the party to be filled that he goes and invites people outside of the city. And this is a depiction of the invitation of the gospel going outside of Israel to the Gentiles. Now, if you're not an Israelite, you're a Gentile. That is, listen, there were those who are not of Jewish descent who have not known the benefits of God's covenant with Israel, and yet they were still invited and are still invited to be a part of God's eternal kingdom. Now, Paul the Apostle highlights this as he writes in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, 11 through 13. Listen to this. He says, So then... Remember, at one time you were Gentiles according to the flesh, called the uncircumcised, quotes, by those called the circumcised, quotes, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Messiah, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, listen, Christ Jesus... In him, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. So we see the invitation into the kingdom of God has continued to grow. Jesus came, inviting those in the synagogue, inviting those who were outcasts, but then Jesus, knowing that there was still room around the table, invited others to join the party. Those others were Gentiles. And this is awesome, because you and I, most of us in the room, I'm sure, are Gentiles. We were not privy to the covenant promises made to Israel in the Old Testament, but because of Israel's rejection of Messiah, an invitation has come to us. And those who respond to his invitation into the kingdom of heaven, the Bible says, we are blessed in Christ, listen to this, with every spiritual blessing. Those who are last have become first. Those who received the invitation last, these Gentiles, have been made number one in the kingdom because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the invitation uh, continues as we read through the New Testament and we see this broadening, this increased invitation as Paul writes in Romans 1 and 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and then to the Greeks or to the Gentiles. See, the invitation continues through the church in the book of Acts. They began in Jerusalem and they preached the gospel of the kingdom. They went to Judea and Samaria, and they preached the gospel. And then the Bible says that they went to the uttermost parts of the earth, and they preached the gospel. See, the invitation continues even to this day. The Lord is, listen, through the church, the New Testament church, he is inviting people to be part of his eternal kingdom. And scripture teaches that Jesus is the entrance into the kingdom. You come into the kingdom by accepting the invitation of Jesus Christ to repent of your sin and trust his death as payment for your sin and believe that he has been raised from the dead. And in this, you are saved. In this, you leave the kingdom of darkness ruled by the devil and you enter into the kingdom of light ruled by the king of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. But we discover as we share this message that people continue to reject the invitation of the Lord Jesus every single day. You know, we experienced that this past week. We'll experience today. There are some people who have come to church today and they are outside of the faith. They've not come to the table. They've not come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They might be in church, but they've not come to Christ. And they will hear the invitation and you will hear the gospel. And some people will continue to refuse the gospel and they refuse it, I have found, for the same reasons that those in Luke chapter 4 refused it. Think about it for just a moment. 
There are those who are preoccupied with what they have. They hear the gospel message, but because they are so preoccupied with what they have, they end up refusing the Lord Jesus. They're so busy building their own personal temporary little kingdom here on the earth, more property, more vehicles, more money, more toys, that they are blinded to the invitation of Jesus to enter into an eternal, glorious kingdom. There's a great quote by C.S. Lewis in which he writes, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. But like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it is meant by an offer at a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Mud pies. Individuals on the earth are refusing Jesus because they're making mud pies on the earth. They have yet to see the glorious riches in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they refuse him. They don't think they need him because they are preoccupied with what they have. And then there are those who also are preoccupied with what they have done. Just like the religious elite of Jesus Christ's day, you think that because you have been a moral and a good person that you deserve entrance into the kingdom of God. You think that if you were to die today and Jesus said, why should I let you into heaven? You would immediately begin to talk about all of your good works. You think because of your good works, you actually have gained worthiness to come into the kingdom. But the Bible says that your good works are like filthy rags in the sight of God. And no one comes to Jesus Christ because they have made themselves worthy. You come to Jesus Christ because you are welcomed to come. No one is worthy to come. I love that reality. You don't get cleaned up so you can come to Christ. You come to Christ and he cleans you up. So we come, but people will still refuse him because they think that they've done some good stuff in their life and that the Lord somehow will just let them in. But then, as people hear the gospel, there are some who refuse Jesus because they are preoccupied with who they know. Preoccupied with who they know. They're individuals just like the religious of that day. They thought, well, Abraham's my dad. Uh, Isaac's my father. Uh, Jacob's in my lineage. I'm good to go. I've got this family tree. And that's what happens. We share the gospel and immediately people divert the fact they need to make a decision for Christ. And they begin immediately to talk about everybody in their family tree who knows the Lord. So they'll be like, well, you, you don't know this, but my grandfather was a deacon down at the Baptist church. Or my dad was an usher at the church of God. Or my mother was a saintly woman always praying in the Methodist church. And you may think that somehow because they knew Christ in your lineage that you are grafted into the kingdom. But that is not the case. You are not saved based upon your personal family tree. You are saved because of Calvary's tree. And if you don't come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not gain entrance into the kingdom. But notice what Jesus said about those who were invited, but they made excuses as to why they were not coming in verse 24. Look in your Bible. He says, I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will enjoy the banquet. See, those in a parable who rejected the invitation were rejected by the host themselves. And this is true of those individuals today who continue to reject the invitation of Christ. 
You will be rejected for eternity and pay the penalty of your unbelief in hell. God, through Jesus, came and accomplished what no other person could accomplish, dying for us, being buried, and resurrected. And when you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are in the kingdom and you are saved so that you can proclaim the excellencies of the mercy who called you, Jesus Christ. You go now and you share the gospel. If you are saved, you share the gospel. Can, can I say that again? If you are saved, you share the gospel. Let me do it one more time. I, I felt like y'all missed an amen opportunity. If you are saved, you share the gospel. So that's what we're called to do. If you are not sharing the Lord Jesus Christ and you are not passionate about sharing him, it is because you are not passionate about him. If you lack genuine worship of the Lord, you will never tell people about him. So what hinders evangelism is a lack of fervent, genuine, devoted worship. See, the save the date has gone out. It's been sent out by the Lord. The invitation is open. The church gives the invitation. And people can still respond because, listen, there's still room. It's interesting. I was uh, studying for this message, getting ready to pre preach it, and had a, a tune going in my mind. Y'all ever had that before? You're doing something, all of a sudden a song pops in. So I had one. I'm not going to sing it right now because my voice is tired. <laughs> if it weren't so tired, I would be like a little bird up here. But anyway, so... Um, you probably heard the song before. It's a great one. Uh, the hymn was written. It goes like this. There's room at the cross for you. You've heard this before? Though millions have come, there is still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Though millions have found him a friend and have turned from the sins they have sinned, the Savior still waits to open the gates and welcome a sinner before it's too late. There is room at the cross for you. You know, there was actually a despairing young man that I read about this past week. He was bent on taking his own life, was going to shoot himself. And uh, it's crazy. He was walking towards a bridge on one occasion where he was going to take his life so that his body would fall into the water and uh, disappear. But on the way, with a gun in his pocket, he walked by a church that was actually having worship. And there in that church, they were singing, and Al Gar was leading the one who wrote, There's Still Room at the Cross for You. And he heard that song and began to walk into the church and sat down with gun in his pocket. Listening to that song, he was broken. He listened to the message of the gospel, and he gave his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was rescued from personal and spiritual disaster because there was still room for one. He later studied in the ministry and actually became an evangelist himself. And the song that he continued to use throughout his ministry was that song written by Al Gar, There's Room at the Cross for You. And if you think about just a moment, the banquet, think about that room, what it's going to be like. In fact, I did this with our first service, so I'll do it now. But just uh, think about the banquet here. Let's pretend for a moment right in here is the great banquet of the Lord. Y'all with me in your imagination? It says, where's that? Jesus is sitting at the head of the table. This is the banquet. Now look around. Seriously, look around. To your left, to your right. Y'all see them? Empty chairs. A continued reminder that there's still room at the cross for people who need to be saved. And here's the deal. That's what we're... Are, are y'all listening? I feel like I'm going to throw the pulpit down. Y'all listening? Look at me. That's what we, as a body of believers, are called to do. Invite people to Christ. 
I'm not talking about just inviting them to church. Invite them to Jesus. And when they come to faith in Jesus Christ, they'll find a church. If it's here, that's great. If it's somewhere else, that's fine. We want them to come into the kingdom. That's where we invite people to come. There's still room. And hey, look at the preacher eyeball to eyeball. Some of y'all in here, still room for you. Why would you postpone and excuse it? Still room for you. Let's bow together. Father, in Jesus' name, speak to hearts.